few weeks in our evening service, we've been talking about some basic building blocks of the Christian faith, and tonight we'll be talking about prayer. For our scripture, we'll be reading from Daniel chapter 9, and we'll read a fair number of verses tonight. Daniel 9 from verse 1 to verse 19. This is God's word for us. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the Lord. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses... All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the petitions and prayers of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. We'll talk about this text and about the topic of prayer in three parts tonight. Obedience, honesty, and trust. Obedience, honesty, and trust. And first for tonight, obedience. We pray to the true Lord according to his instructions. 
Our one-year-old Ezra has been experimenting with language the past few months. A few months ago, once he realized what cell phones were for, he'd start picking up cell phone toys, our cell phones, TV remotes, anything that looked vaguely electronic, and he'd wander around babbling into it. And then a little bit after that, he created this word, ba, ba. He'd point at something and emphatically say, ba. And this was a very flexible word. It could mean, give me that food. What is that? Pick me up, Father. Look, a duck. He had an amazingly, just amazing language that covered everything in this one sound. Ba. Now the problem, of course, is that language doesn't actually work like that. It certainly didn't work well at our house. You can't speak a totally made-up language. It won't mean anything to anybody else. We don't make up languages. We learn them. And the way we learn language is by imitating others. Ezra's recently diversified his range of sounds. Now he is kind of a dada and kind of a mama. He has a couple other sounds, kind of Avid and Ica, that we think are David and Micah, we think. And a couple other things he seems to mimic sometimes. But that's how we learn language, by listening to other people and by repeating back what we've heard. We speak as we're spoken to. And we learn how to speak from people who speak to us. In one of his books on prayer, Eugene Peterson draws a connection between how we learn human language and how we learn to pray. He points out that little kids learn language by repeating what they hear from other people. And then he says, all speech is answering speech. All prayer is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. And then he goes on to talk about the overwhelming previousness of God's speech to us. God's word always comes before our words, and we are always responding to God. Daniel's prayer that we read for tonight shows that in a number of ways. The beginning of Daniel 9 shows Daniel reading the book of Jeremiah, that's the prophet Jeremiah, he sees in the book of Jeremiah some promises that God has made. And those promises, that scripture, drives Daniel to pray. The word, of Lord, the word of God drives Daniel to pray. And Daniel begins his prayer. And throughout his prayer, there's this address to the Lord. And the particular word behind that is Yahweh. This is the covenant name for God. It's the name the Lord himself gave to his people. Daniel isn't praying to some generic, unknown God. He's not speaking to some vague God out there. He's addressing his prayer to the Lord God who revealed himself to Israel. And what's more, a lot of Daniel's prayer, a lot of Daniel's prayer is echoes of earlier scriptures. It reflects the book of Deuteronomy especially, but Daniel picks up on all kinds, all parts of the Old Testament his prayer is full of the scriptures. Daniel's speech to God is largely drawn from God's word given to his people. So let me draw a couple applications from that for our prayers today. First, it's important for us to remember that we pray to the Lord who revealed himself to us. Christian prayer is fundamentally different from the prayers of other religions. 
Christian prayer isn't just a sort of Eastern emptying of our minds. And it's not just a felt communion with a vague, impersonal God. Prayer isn't just a letter we mail out to an uncertain deity. Prayer is speaking to the personal Lord God. And Christian prayer is responding to how the Lord God has first spoken to us. A second implication of this is that we should pray in the way that the Lord tells us to. God's word always comes first. And so we should pray according to the patterns that we find in the Bible. The Psalms are often called the prayer book of God's people, and they are a deep and wonderful well of ways to pray. Jesus himself gives us the Lord's Prayer, and throughout the Gospels, he also instructs us in how to pray. In almost all of his letters, the Apostle Paul includes a section on prayer that at least by example can guide how we pray for the church and how we pray for each other. And as we can see from Daniel's prayer, I don't have time to dig into all the references, but all kinds of places in Scripture provide great ground, great launching points for us to pray to the Lord. The Bible gives us all kinds of language and all kinds of prayers for us to speak to God. Now, that's not to say that every single time we pray, we have to go flipping through the Bible to find just the right phrase for that circumstance. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that our prayer life should be deeply formed and significantly patterned by what we find in the Bible. God's Word should shape the words that we speak to God. And one reason for that is that if we don't tie our prayers to God's Word, if our prayers aren't shaped by what God has said to us, then our prayers often become untethered. They lose their grounding. They, they just fade into nothingness instead of being really centered on God. So one aspect of Christian prayer is obedience. We pray only to the true Lord, and we pray only how He's taught us. Another aspect of prayer is honesty. Honesty. In our prayers, we need to acknowledge our real situation. When we pray, we need to be honest with ourselves and we need to be honest about ourselves. This is often hard. We like to gloss over some of the hard things in our lives, but we need to be honest. John Wright wrote a, wrote a tremendously helpful book on prayer called Daring to Draw Near. Pastor Greg and I use that book often in prayer sermons. It was helpful for tonight, too. John White was a medical doctor and a psychologist, along with being a writer, so he was a pretty busy guy. In his chapter in the, on this section of Daniel, John White tells the story of the birth of his first son, Scott. And Scott was born with two club feet. That means instead of his feet pointing forward, they pointed in like this, probably at a 90-degree angle. Pretty, pretty significant. It's a very treatable condition, not a huge concern, but it's something that requires treatment, and it's something that is obvious right away. So when their first baby was born, White's, White's wife looked at, his, looked at Scott's feet and said, John, look at his feet. There's something wrong with his feet. And there was something wrong. But Dr. John White, trained medical doctor, trained to look at babies as they were born or after they were born and say they're okay or there's some issues we need to deal with, he looked at his son and he didn't see anything wrong. He said, no, honey, he's fine. His feet are fine. And his wife said, his feet, look at his feet. 
And again, White said, he's okay. He's fine, honey. He was so anxious about the situation. He so wanted, he so needed everything to be okay that even though he was a trained doctor, he couldn't look at the baby and see what any average person on the street could tell you. Often we blind ourselves to the harsh realities of our life. We can't deal with it, so we don't see it, or we deny it, or we minimize it. And we do this perhaps the most with our own sin and guilt. And we also often do it with the sin and the guilt of the people around us. When we pray, we ask for help, we give thanks, we praise the Lord, but it's often the hardest for us to repent, for us to say that we're sorry. And in this day and age, it's also really hard for us to engage with the idea that the people around us might really be guilty, that they might really need conversion, that they might really face a completely deserved judgment if they don't run to Christ. We don't like to look at our own sin and weakness. We want, we need for everything to be okay. And there are times too, probably too many times, that we don't want to look at the need, at the guilt, at the trouble of the people around us either. We don't like to confess. We don't like to repent. We don't like to mourn our brokenness. But if those things are real, then we need to be honest about them in our prayers. And Daniel seems to understand that his prayer is basically a prayer of confession. Verse 3 says that he goes to the Lord with prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. He goes like someone who is desperately sad and desperately sorry. And then Daniel spends most of his prayer in confession, in mourning, in repentance. After calling on the Lord in verse 4, he goes on in verse 5 to say, We've sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and your laws. And then Daniel goes on and on and on. And he says again and again and again those same things. We've fallen short in this way. We've disobeyed in that way. We're covered with shame. We've sinned. Almost to the point that we go, Daniel, get to the point. Move on. What are you doing? But he spends a lot of time being honest before God and confessing we have sinned. And remember who's praying here. This is Daniel. This is righteous Daniel. This is Daniel who nobody could find any fault with. This is Daniel who gets thrown into the lion den because he won't stop praying. This is Daniel, the good guy. But Daniel prays all these prayers saying, we have sinned. Daniel might have had the right to stand a little bit off from the rest of God's people and say, they, they've sinned. God, forgive them. They've sinned. But he doesn't do that. He puts himself in the same category. He goes to God with a sense that he's not right and also that God's people are not right. He's not looking away from the sin in his own life at all and he is not looking away from the sin of the people around him either. He is being brutally honest and desperately sorry. And our prayers too should be brutally honest and sometimes maybe they should be even a bit 
desperate. In our prayers, we need to confess our sins. And in our prayers, maybe sometimes we need to be a little more desperate for ourselves and for those around us. We need to go to God and admit the real situation we are in and ask for Him to be gracious. We should be honest about ourselves, and we should also look at the people around us, the people whom God has put in our life. And not to do that so that we can say we're better than them or look down on them or focus on their faults or gossip or anything like that. But we should be driven to pray for the people around us, to pray for their salvation, to pray that they would come to see the real situation that they are in because everyone apart from Christ is in a desperate situation, one totally necessary, really difficult part of prayer is honesty, acknowledging our real situation and bringing it to the Lord. Finally, for tonight, we'll talk about trust. In our prayers, we should depend on God's work. We should go to Him with trust, and we should expect God to work. And if we can't see how God is at work, we should go to him and ask him what's going on. One of the realities of the life of faith is that when we look at God's word and we look at our world, often they don't seem to jive. The world often does not look how we would expect it to look if God is really in control. Imagine if later this evening a really good friend from out of town gave you a call and say, hey, I'm coming to town for a couple weeks. Schedule, prices, everything worked out just right. I'm coming in Tuesday evening. Here's the flight number. I'll meet you at baggage claim. I get into O'Hare at 720 or so. Can you pick me up? You can? Great. See you then. And then you go to O'Hare Tuesday evening. You go to the baggage claim, and your friend isn't there. And you wait and wait, and they don't show up. So what do you do? Well, you wait some more. You check the monitors. You go and you talk to airline representatives. You check if any other airlines maybe had flights come in at the same time. You check if some mistake has been made in the listing. You check your notes to see if they flew into Midway instead of O'Hare. You call your friend's cell phone. You call their family. You try to figure out what is going on. Where is this person? Now, you only do that if your friend is actually reliable. If they're really scatterbrained and they let you down before, you don't worry about it too much. Maybe if they called you and they said Tuesday, but you know they probably meant Thursday, you don't stress about it. Maybe if they're the sort of person who could call a friend in Denver and say they were coming to Chicago or something crazy, maybe you just don't worry about it too much. But if your friend is reliable, if it's someone whose word is good, then you worry when they aren't where they say they're going to be. You have a problem. You have a tension between the word of your friend and the reality you're experiencing. And that's exactly the kind of tension that drives Daniel's prayer here. He reads the book of Jeremiah and he reads about how the desolation of Jerusalem was supposed to last 70 years. And the clock is ticking and it seems like God's people aren't being restored and there's no signs that it's going to happen. There's this real tension between what God has promised and what Daniel can see. And that tension drives Daniel to prayer. He doesn't just say, oh, God must not have meant it. Oh, maybe God will take care of it someday. Oh, not a problem. Don't worry about it. No, Daniel is worried about it. 
he knows that God keeps his promises. And so he goes to God and he says, God, what's going on? And he starts out by admitting, Lord, we have messed up in so many ways. And as I said before, he goes on about that for quite a while. Lord, we know we have messed up in so many ways and all the punishment we've been given we deserve. And Lord, you've just done what you promised in terms of punishment. But then toward the end of his prayer, Daniel makes a turn. And he turns from saying, God, we've messed up. God, please forgive us. To saying, God, be faithful. It's almost like Daniel finally calls God to account. He starts around verse 16 with saying, God, you delivered us from Egypt. You performed all kinds of powerful acts to save us. Be gracious. Restore your people, Lord. And not because we're so great, but because of your mercy and your name. Daniel knows that the Lord is capable of fulfilling his promises. He's not seeing those promises being fulfilled. And so he goes to the Lord and he calls for them to be fulfilled. And often that's what real trust looks like. Not that we always see how God is at work. Not that it's always, to see, always easy to see, oh, God said this. This is what's happening. Great. Real trust comes in when we can't make that kind of connection. When we look at the world around us and we look at God's word and we say, this doesn't seem to jive. But then we still go to the Lord and we say, Lord, we trust you. Lord, be faithful. Lord, we know when you say you're going to do something, you do it. So do it. Those times of tension are times for real trust and intense prayer. When you have that tension in your life, don't just run away from it. In that tension is an opportunity to see how God is at work in ways that maybe at first glance we don't see. In that tension is the opportunity for us to come to know the Lord better through seeing how his word and his work really do come together in the world. Now, I'm not saying this is always easy or pleasant. The Lord knows. The Lord knows that we have had plenty of times in our church and in our family when we still can't figure out what he's up to, and we'd like to, but we can't. We all have those times. But one of the things we do as Christians is we keep trusting. We keep depending on God And we keep going to him and praying and saying, Lord, fulfill your promises. That tension between the word and the world gives us an opportunity to deepen our faith, to come to know more about the Lord God, and to practice our trust. In our prayer, we pray to the true Lord according to his instruction. In our prayer, we acknowledge our real situation. And in our prayer, we depend on God's work. Obedience, honesty, and trust.